The text for the address this morning is the Gospel reading from Matthew chapter 11. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. One of the great relationships in the Bible is that between John the Baptist and Jesus of Nazareth. They meet, if you remember, before they are even born. As John leaps in his mother Elizabeth's womb as the pregnant Mary approaches. Then there's the famous encounter in the River Jordan where Jesus is baptised by John after some hesitation. Our text today is another fascinating interaction between John and Jesus. And it's one from which we can learn a lot and be encouraged. It teaches us about faith. It warns us about temptations to stumble. It leads us to Jesus, the coming Messiah, and the blessings he brings. So as we look at this text today, let's see first the intriguing question. Next, the gentle rebuke. And finally, the glowing tribute. An intriguing question, a gentle rebuke, and a glowing tribute. First, there's this intriguing question. Are you the one who is to come? Or are we to wait for another? This is a question that John sends via his disciples while John is in prison. We find out later in the Gospel why John is in prison. You may remember because he'd spoken out against Herod because Herod had taken his brother's wife and John was saying you shouldn't do that, it's not lawful. And that's a situation which eventually led to John being beheaded. But despite being in prison, John apparently still had contact with his disciples and so he sent them with this intriguing question. Now, why do I say it's intriguing? Well, because we know from earlier in the Gospel that John had preached so powerfully about the coming one, the Messiah, the one who would baptise not only with, the, with water but with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And as Jesus came to John to be baptised, John seemed to acknowledge that, yes, this Jesus, this is the one. But now he's in prison. And this inquiry seems to suggest he's not so sure anymore, or at least that something else is going on for John here. Are you the one to come? Or should we wait for another? In the history of the church, there's been different explanations for what's actually going on here. So, some have said that John is really only sending this question for the sake of his disciples. Luther took this view, for example. It's certainly possible to take it this way. So, the idea there is that John always wanted to decrease so that Christ could increase and it was only right that his disciples would follow Jesus eventually that they transfer their allegiance completely to Jesus and so John would send his disciples so they could hear from his own lips. That's certainly one way to take this. 
But I tend to think that actually here John is expressing his own doubts. Maybe his disciples had the same problem, but I think it really does go back to John. One of the main reasons for taking it that way in the text is that when Jesus responds, he does say, go and tell John. He sends the disciples explicitly back to John. So what's going on with John then? Why ask this? It seems to me that the expectations he had for Jesus didn't quite fit with the reports that he was hearing. Do you remember John's preaching? He spoke of the axe being laid to the root of the tree. This coming one who would separate the wheat from the chaff. He would baptise with fire. In other words, there was a strong theme in John's preaching of the Messiah of the coming judgment. And now in Jesus' ministry, as far as John can see, it doesn't really seem to be playing out like that. There's messianic signs to be sure, but where's the fiery judgment on the wicked? That was also part of the expectation. Not to mention the fact that John himself is in prison. Isn't the Messiah going to bring release for the prisoners? Isn't the Messiah going to bring justice for God's faithful people? And so John sends this question, I think, arising from some of his own perplexity. Are you the one to come? Or should we wait for another? Doesn't this resonate with your own Christian life? Doesn't this connect with your own Christian experience? That even as believers, we struggle with doubts, perplexities, challenges to our faith. God doesn't always act according to our expectations. We can feel let down, disappointed. Maybe we pray for something continually to happen and there doesn't seem to be an immediate answer. Maybe we feel wronged. There doesn't seem to be any justice. This is real in our lives. And this was real in the life of John the Baptist, the one of whom Jesus will say later, just after this text, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. And even for him, there's these challenges to faith, these expectations not met, this trial and temptation perhaps to give up. But here's the really important point. What does John the Baptist do with this? What does he do with these doubts or questions or disappointments? He takes them to Jesus. He takes them to Jesus. To whom shall we go? You, Lord, have the words of eternal life. Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Even though Jesus wasn't meeting John's expectations, perhaps, he doesn't go looking for another potential Messiah. He takes this to Jesus as you can. Don't let your doubts and fears and trials drive you away from him. As painful as they can be, let them drive you, them, let them drive you to him. Ask him the tough questions. Cry out to him in the pain. 
John's is an intriguing question, but the most important thing about it is to whom it is directed. So after the intriguing question, there's the gentle rebuke. Jesus responds to this question in a two-part sort of way. First he says, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear. The dead are raised and the poor have good news brought to them. Actions speak louder than words, right? Jesus' answer is basically something like this. He's saying just look and listen to what's going on and if you know the scriptures you'll have your answer. Because the backdrop to what Jesus is saying is basically the book of Isaiah and particularly a set of prophecies in chapter 35 where it's exactly these sorts of things that Isaiah said would happen when the Messiah comes. But then there's this second part of the response and this is where this gentle rebuke comes in. Jesus says, And blessed is anyone who takes no offence at me. What's going on here? Why does Jesus say this? This extra little beatitude, just like the ones in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, and now blessed is anyone who takes no offence at me. I think what's going on here is that we are learning the deeper truth now of what was really behind John's question. Because Jesus' words here suggest that actually John's deeper problem was not doubting that Jesus was the Messiah in some sort of intellectual way, even though his question was sort of framed in that way, but Jesus' words suggest that actually for John he was tempted to take offence at the way in which Jesus was carrying out his ministry as the Messiah. And this word take offence, it's a big one in Matthew's Gospel and there's much more to it than what we think of with that word in English. Especially in our day and our time where we can tend to get offended about just about anything and everyone. To take offence here is sometimes translated to stumble, even then to fall away. And the Greek word is scandalizo, from which we get our word scandalise. It's the same word Jesus used when he says, if your eye or your hand scandalises you, usually translates cause to sin, cut it out, throw it away. It's the same word that happens to the people in Nazareth when they can't accept Jesus, his own family even, they're scandalised by him, they stumble over him. Blessed is the one who doesn't stumble over me, fall away on account of me. Blessed is the one who isn't scandalised by me. To take offence at Jesus here is to see something in him which causes so much offence that it actually leads you to be tempted to reject him. It's to know Jesus is who he says he is and even to have faith in him but still to be tempted to reject that to lose confidence in that, to give up on that. And so Jesus offers this gentle rebuke to John and to us. Blessed is anyone who takes no offence at me. 
Isn't this too such an important emphasis for us today? When all around us people do take offence at Jesus and his words, when people take offence at Christian teaching, people are scandalised by the things that our Lord says. A very common one that comes to mind in our day are the exclusive claims that Jesus makes about himself. For example, when Jesus says that he is the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through him. And lots of people will say that, sure, there's so much that attracts me to Jesus and I want to believe in him, I want to follow him, but those sort of claims that he's the only way, that's offensive. That's a stumbling block. And this is real, but Jesus' response is simple and clear. Blessed are you when you take no offence at me. As Christian people who do trust in Jesus, we can yet be tempted to stumble over him and his ways, to take offence at how he works in our lives. If he is the Messiah... If he sits on the throne ruling over this world and has power over life and death itself, why doesn't anything seem to work out in my life? Why can't I catch a break? Why can't I find the right job or meet the right girl or guy or get ahead financially or whatever it is? We trust in Jesus but we're tempted to take offence at the way in which he works in our lives. Again, this is all very real, very common in Christian experience and so Jesus speaks to us this simple word today. Blessed are you when you take no offence at him. There's the intriguing question. There's the gentle rebuke. And finally, there's the glowing tribute. So given that Jesus has just offered this gentle rebuke and correction to John the Baptist and his disciples, the people who were listening in, they may have started to get the idea that maybe John's not actually as great as we thought he was. Jesus has corrected this sort of, and then what Jesus does next is correct this wrong conclusion. And he speaks in a way of John that is more exalted than for any other human being that I can think of that Jesus says anything about. But he gets into it with a couple of strange little pictures, doesn't he? He says, what did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? He says, remember, there was something that drew you out to John in the first place. And what was it? Was it the fact that he was a bit like a reed that sort of just goes back and forth? I think the idea is, Is John really a sort of guy that just changes his mind all the time and goes along with popular opinion? We might say, is he a yes yes man? And Jesus says, you know that's not John the Baptist. You know that's not the sort of guy you went out into the wilderness to see. So what did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes. Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces, not royal prisons. Jesus is saying something like, you know, John, he wasn't exactly the latest in men's fashion. 
You didn't go out into the desert to marvel at his camel's hair and leather belt. So if you don't go out to hear him because he just said whatever people wanted to hear, and if you didn't go out to see him because of the fashion show, what did you go out to see? A prophet? Ah, now we're getting closer. But more than a prophet. Because this is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you to prepare the way. He's more than a prophet because he's also the fulfilment of prophecy. He's the forerunner, the way preparer of the coming one. And then Jesus brings this all to a crescendo, just one verse beyond our texts. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. That is a glowing tribute from our Lord Jesus. But it's not because of anything particularly special in John himself. It's because in God's plan, John was called to some of the most important work in the world, to prepare the way, to lead people to the Messiah. There was nothing wrong with John's preaching of the coming judgment, of axes laid to the root of the tree for those who would not repent, because Jesus too proclaimed the coming judgment. And in fact, later on in this very chapter, he will talk about, woe to you, Chorazin. If the works had been done there, they would have repented long ago and it would be better for you on the day of Sodom and Gomorrah and this sort of thing. Jesus preached this way as well and especially in this Advent season we all need to hear that word of John and Jesus to repent, to turn away from our sins, to turn in faith to Jesus the Messiah. But perhaps what John hadn't quite realised at first is that before Jesus comes again to judge the living and the dead, he would himself first be judged for us. That before the axe of judgment strikes that tree, Jesus himself would first die on a tree. And it's finally that path that Jesus took that is the ultimate scandal, the decisive offence, the biggest stumbling block, as well as our hope and salvation. Because this word, scandalise, it comes up again on the night before Jesus died. Where Jesus tells his disciples that that very night they would all stumble over him, be scandalised by him as the shepherd is struck and the sheep are scattered. And Peter says, I'll never take offence at you, Jesus. And we know how that ended up. But thanks be to God. That although Peter and the other apostles failed just as we do, Jesus took that path to the cross for you and for me. He rose from the dead. He ascended to his Father to usher in his rule and reign as God's Messiah. So that now by his Spirit, through his word and through his sacraments, he continues to open deaf ears to his word. 
to open blind eyes and give us faith, to heal the leprosy of our sin and to raise us from spiritual death to life. That's the good news of the coming one that comes to us spiritually poor people. And that's John and Jesus. The intriguing question, the gentle rebuke and the glowing tribute all pointing to the one who has come and does come and will come again. Blessed are you when you take no offence at him. In the name of Jesus. Amen.